you know, he sent me back a note saying, well, really the, the key thing was the way you kept us working on the business, not in the business yes. through all of those early stages. And that really sums it up and a lot of what I've been talking about today. James Schramko here from superfastbusiness.com and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Welcome to part two of this two-part series with Jeff Green, a veteran on smart business exits. In the first part, we talked about the three stages of a business exit, how business owners often tend to self-sabotage without even realizing it around the time of the exit and what you can do to defend against that. We talked about how you can get access to Jeff Green's book, The Smart Business Exit, at a 50% discount. We'll cover that off again in the second part of this two-part series. And we talked about how you can use the idea of creating a sellable business to build a business with higher intrinsic value that will position you really strongly in the long term. Now, in this second part of this two-part series, we're going to talk about the key challenges that business owners face around the time of the business exit, how to plan for an effective business exit, the action steps you can take to set yourself up for a smooth business exit, If you do enjoy this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. Every single review in iTunes helps it move up in the rankings and gets it to more people who would find it useful. So I want to thank you in advance for taking the time to leave a review. Now, some related podcast episodes that you would find useful if you enjoyed this one are episode 18 with Buck Rizvi, where we talk about how to build an eight-figure business, episode number 40 on the Eisenhower Matrix and how to use the four-quadrant matrix for business success, and episode number 101 with Ramon Ray, where we talk about disruptive technologies and how to use them to your advantage. Now, there's a whole lot of other relevant episodes, which if I mentioned, we'd be here all day. So what I suggest is if you have some specific questions or you want help on some specific topics, then just shoot me an email on ash at productiveinsights.com and I'll point you to the right episode. As always, I'll include a link to all those related episodes in the show notes. I really hope you enjoy the second part of this two-part series. And if you haven't had a listen to part one, I strongly recommend you go back and do that first. Now, here's part two of the two-part series with Jeff Green on smart business exits. Enjoy. Okay, so I just want to tell the listeners, actually, if you're interested in getting the Smart Business Exit book, Jeff is offering a special promotion until the 31st of December 2017. You just have to go to smartbusinessexit.com forward slash the hyphen smart hyphen business hyphen exit hyphen book. It's a long name, but uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. And you type in the code productive and you can get the book at a 50% discount. Is that right, Jeff? That's correct. Okay, so we've talked about the very important part of a business exit strategy, which is considering what happens after to the human being that is running the business and selling the business. What other factors do you look at in a business exit strategy? Probably for me, it's it's bringing all the pieces together. So you've got a whole range of the, the sort of technical issues that we've talked about. You've got the emotional issues and then a lot of it's the timing as you go through. 
And one of the things I really emphasise to to clients is that once you push the button, particularly if you're if you've got a reasonable sized business and you're selling it to a much larger business, mm-hmm. you you really need to be very, very well organised before you say, yep, we're now taking this to market. Because once your business exit process starts, Mm -hmm. it moves very, very quickly. Okay. And if you haven't thought through things, you can really get yourself in a mess through your exit. Because remember, you're not only doing your exit, but you're also running your business at the same time. Yes, good point. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And and one of the things that I find often happens is, and it's uncanny how this happens, so many businesses will have their bad quarter in multiple years happen (laughs) right when they're doing their business exit. And it's really bad because- Murphy's Law. Yeah, and well, and it's because they've they've often taken their eye off the ball, or they're too busy oh. trying to deal with all the all the business aspects. Right, right. But straight away that flows into the process, and the buyer will straight away say, oh, "Okay, well now we've got those revised numbers through. We probably need to go back and sharpen the pencil a bit on the purchase oh, price." Right. So, so those sorts of managing those sorts of things is really important. And one thing I do with a lot of clients is actually help manage some of those coordination aspects for them. Because mm-hmm. if you've got a, you know, it's yourself and a team of, you know, maybe four or five people, mm-hmm. you can suddenly have half your exec teams tied up doing your business exit. Yes. For, for half their time instead of doing their regular jobs. Mm. And also there's a lot of stress around it in terms of when do you tell the staff, you know, how do, how do you tell the staff, how comfortable are they going to be about it and so on. So there's a lot of lot of sort of management outside the doing the contract, doing the due diligence and so on that you need to work through. So it is that, you know, as you said before, it's that holistic approach to, you know, making sure you're across all of the things, getting them done in the right way and in the right order. This is such valuable information. You know, when I did my MBA, I remember thinking a lot of the numerical elements, I I was very skeptical about, you know, valuation of companies. 90% of mergers and acquisitions are considered to be failures, as in the merged entity is less valuable than the two individual entities before the merger or the acquisition. So I'm a bit skeptical about the numerical elements, but the, the soft parts of it, the cultural aspects, I think there's a lot of value there, you know, talking about preparing your staff, getting them ready for this news, taking into account how they feel. Ultimately, it is still human beings that are running businesses. So these human emotions need to be taken care of. Yeah. And one of the biggest issues I find with bigger companies buying smaller companies is exactly your point, Ash, that, you know, I'll often sit around boardroom tables where people are crunching all the numbers and saying, Mm. well, we can get these efficiencies and we don't need Mm. two CFOs and we can do this and all the rest of it. Mm. And I quite often sort of sit there and go, well, hang on, you're talking about people here, guys. And, you know, (laughs) the reason a lot of acquisitions fail or don't get the results the buyer expected Mm. is because, You've brought two workforces together. Yes. And you need to do all of the what so-called soft stuff mm. to actually make sure you, you really integrate that part well. Because quite often you'll have disgruntled employees coming in where they didn't really want the business to be sold or right. or you know, they're now fighting with somebody else for their job or whatever. Mm. And how you actually bring those two together and make sure you actually maximise the outcome is a real challenge. And it, and it is, in my view, one of the main reasons why a lot of acquisitions fail to deliver what people expect. I think that was what happened with the AOL Time Warner acquisition or the merger. Mm. That's you know one of the biggest disasters in history. And yep. I think a lot of it was 
culture. I mean, don't forget, it takes eight to 10 years to change the culture of a company. You know, it's not something that can be done overnight. And if you're going to be merging two entities, you better have done your homework around the culture and make sure there is at least some marriageability or whatever the term is between the two cultures. Yeah, and probably some of the acquisitions I see that are done well is where they'll put a lot of effort into sort of saying, look, one of the key things we've bought with this team is an absolute gun management team and set of employees. Mm. Let's make sure we keep them together and keep them working as a cohesive unit and then gradually integrate them into the broader business Mm. rather than sort of bring them in and then just totally pulling it apart day one, Mm. which happens a lot. It does, yeah. And you you lose a lot of the value because these days, you know, a lot of value in businesses is in their management teams Mm. and and relationships and so on, mm. and you can lose those elements overnight. And it's hard to see those things on the balance sheet. Yes. And when I see good deals done, it's where there's a really good understanding between both parties about where the true value actually sits in the business, and a lot of it's not on the balance sheet. No. And, and if both parties can identify that, then you can actually get a better deal, you know, both for the buyer and the seller. And this is my beef with accountants, to be honest. I mean, I, I say this as an accountant myself, but when an accountant sits there in their ivory tower and crunches numbers, they seem to completely ignore the fact that there are a whole lot of qualitative aspects behind those numbers that have a massive impact on the viability of the business and for those numbers to be getting churned out on a daily basis. If a business unit is making a certain amount of profit, it's not just because of you know factors of production. It's also because of human beings that are creating that result because of a certain culture, because of a certain ethic, a work ethic, an ethos that lives within that business unit. And if you just decimate that business unit or the ethos of that business unit, then you're going to see ramifications. Absolutely. Yeah. So now let's go on to talk about a case study, if that's something you feel you feel comfortable discussing, Jeff, where you brokered or facilitated a successful business exit and what the results and outcomes were. Yep, sure. I've got a very good case study. So this is a very long-standing client of mine and, and close personal friend, mm-hmm. a guy called David Trewern, and I cover his story in my book. So people who are interested in looking at it more closely, uh, it's well covered in my book. Mm-hmm. So David founded a company called DT, which is a digital communications company and, and now one of the um, largest digital communication companies in Australasia. Wow. So I first met David when I was heading up Bendigo Stock Exchange in the, in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. We were looking for a website developer and David had a, an office um, in the front room of the house he was renting in Punt <laughs> Road in um, South Yarra. So it was him and his now wife, Bethwin, and his best mate, Tim Kotsiakis. I love these stories. This is where it all starts, right? <laughs> and so so they were, you know, a small website development company, hundreds of them at that time. This was really the birth of the internet. Mm-hmm. And I was really immediately impressed by David. I thought, this is a guy who's going to go places. Mm-hmm. And so we've, we've done a lot of work together over the years. We've, we've done a lot of projects together. He's been my client. I've been his client. Mm-hmm. And we've been in lots of deals and scrapes and had lots of fun together. <laughs> But in terms of building his business, he wanted really to do two things. He wanted to really take DT, as it's now known, and take it really to the top of the industry in Australia if he could. Mm-hmm. He also wanted to think carefully about the way to do that, which was either to do it on his own or effectively find a big brother, which would probably involve a business exit. So a lot of what we've talked about during this podcast 
Ash, we've I worked with David over over many many years in his business and right. lots of twists and turns and you know false leads and all sorts of things. But the long story short, he ended up selling it in stages to the STW Group, which is John Singleton's group. Oh yes, and and it is now, yeah, as I said, one of the four or five biggest digital agencies in Australasia with about two hundred and fifty plus staff big office down in St Kilda Road. So he has taken the business to the top of the tree. Mm-hmm. It's also now partly owned by WPP, which is uh, Martin Sorrell's global media communications group. So it's really been, you know, a classic case of, you know, from the front bedroom to really now a very big company. And it was interesting the other day, they've just gone out past their 20 years anniversary and I sent a note to it congratulating David and uh you know, he sent me back a note saying, well, really the, the key thing was the way you kept us working on the business, not in the business yes. through all of those early stages. And that really sums it up. And a lot of what I've been talking about today is really about, you know, working on your business. Not in your business. Absolutely. That one letter changing the O to an I or yeah. changing the I to an O, it just makes, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Now, the thing that was interesting about this exit because it did happen in stages. If you go back to some of those things I was talking about, you know, David exited well from a financial point of view, mm-hmm. but he also immediately got a whole lot of, you know, freedom. He had time to do other things. So he did some work for STW. He's gone on and built another business and we've exited that recently mm-hmm. and, and just done a whole lot of other things that he wouldn't have done otherwise. Mm-hmm. So he sort of got his freedom. In terms of legacy, he's still actually chairman of, of DT. So he probably spends okay. about a day, a month in the office. So he, he's still, he's got that sense of, well, I've built something and I'm still Ooh, connected to it. Which is um, wonderful. And he, yeah. And most people don't get that when they exit. Mm. And he's also got this renewed purpose in that he's now doing all sorts of things that he wouldn't be doing if he was still in the business. And it was interesting, I was talking to him the other day and I said, so when you go back to DT, David, do you still wish you owned it? And he said, you know, every time I walk in the door, I wish I did. And after I've spent five minutes talking to my managing director about everything he's juggling, I'm pleased I don't, which I think sums it up pretty well. (laughs) Yeah, so he gets the best of both worlds. Yeah. (laughs) I can kind of relate to that to some extent, although I absolutely love every millisecond in my business at the moment. But ask me in, in 15 years' time and maybe I'll feel differently. Yeah. Okay, so what were the results? So you you exited the business and he he ended up with a good financial result. He ended up with a good emotional result in that he's still got that connection to the business, which is something I would encourage the listeners to consider if they're looking at a business exit. You know, maybe you want to be connected to your business and maybe you can build in some kind of a thing within that exit strategy where you decide to be, you ask to be chairman or, or a consultant or whatever it is you yeah. you feel without too much of the onus falling on your shoulders. And that can be a really important point because if you do it right and you're working with the right buyer, you can maintain some interest in your business, but go on and, and play a different role. And one of the things we did with David was was quite quite early on, we identified someone in the business who has gone on and, and has now been MD of the company for quite a long time. So David, from the time he fully exited, was able to move into the chairman's role virtually immediately. Hmm. And then he went on and, and was uh, chief digital officer for several years at STW, and he was looking at a lot of their acquisition strategies and so on in this sort of space. So he basically went on to a completely different role and, you know, learnt an enormous amount um, doing that role and enjoyed it and, you know, built his networks a lot. So sometimes if you get it right, 
you can actually go on and play quite a different role in the acquirer's business. And that's very attractive to a lot of people. But you've got to do a lot of the right talking through the process. And a lot of that's picking the right buyer in the first place. Yes, yes. And another part of picking the right buyer, we've touched on this from many angles, but I think is about asking yourself about the culture. So if you're going to be acquired by another company, for example, you know, think about the culture of that business that is looking to acquire you. Or if you're going to sell your business to another buyer, think about the culture or the approach, that attitude to management that the buyer has. Because most business owners that have built a business with a lot of love and passion and heart and soul, the last thing they want to do is hand over the business to somebody who's going to treat it like dirt, you know, or who's not going to give their employees the respect that they deserve. It's a lot like giving away a a car that you've loved for many years and looked after. You don't want to see it trashed even though it's not your car anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And for a lot of business owners, what happens to their employees and what happens to their clients is a really big issue for a lot of business owners because, as we've said during this discussion, there's a, there's a lot of a lot of emotion invested in relationships with both those groups of people. So often, you know, I've seen business owners actually sell a business for less hmm. to a different buyer because they got more comfort in those areas when, when they could have made more money. And that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because, you know, this is my point. Your sale price of your business is just one aspect of the value that you get out of selling the business. But there might be emotional payoffs that you get from the business as well, which would explain why you would sell the business for less if you feel emotionally more comfortable about handing the business over. Yes. And again, that's a matter for each buyer because people are different on this. People have different sort of views on that. But it's good to be able to talk to somebody about those sorts of issues because often they're just not dealt with as part of the part of the exit process. Hmm. And there's that business exit counsellor service coming up again. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit about action steps. So I've written down a few things here in our conversation. And the, here's a few things I would say to the listeners in terms of action steps, if you're looking at exiting your business. Well, first of all, you want to start considering exiting your business from day one insofar as you want to build a business that is very sellable or saleable. I'm not sure which the right word is, but you want to build a business that is easy to sell. And to do that, you want to build a business with strong systems within it, with strong processes, all of which are independent of you. Sure, the business brand may be quite intricately linked to your personal brand, but the market will fairly soon find out after you exit the business whether that link between your personal brand and business brand is just a brand thing or is it an actual business thing. Try and keep as much knowledge embedded within the business in a documented form rather than have a tacit knowledge sitting in the minds of various employees. That said, it's impossible to have all of the knowledge completely documented and to some degree that can be addressed by making sure there's a good cultural fit between your business and the acquiring entity so that the tacit knowledge that is sitting within these managers' minds isn't lost because they leave the company because they're not happy with a new merged or acquired entity or acquiring entity. Be very clear about where the value is in your business. Understand that your business would be worth different amounts to different buyers depending on what they're looking for in the business and what their current business model is. So it's always a good idea to step into your buyer's shoes and look at your business from your buyer's perspective. In fact, I would recommend doing that from day one. And when you consider your business exit strategy, always remember that it's not just about the money. It's also about 
your purpose? Are you still going to have a purpose? Have you taken care of those things? You need to think about all these things before you even approach the business exit process. Ask yourself, what am I going to do after I've sold this business? Am I going to just play golf? Probably not. So do I want to be connected with this business? Do I want to be working as a chairman? Do I want to be working as a consultant? If I don't want to be connected to this business, then what is my next step after I exit this business? How am I doing, Jeff? Yep, I think they're all excellent points. I'll just add a couple of other ones. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges in this space is there's actually not a lot of information around about the sort of things we're talking about here. So I think one one thing that's really important is to to try and dig out information about business exits. And some of that's around the mechanics of how you actually exit, but some of these, some of them are these broader issues that we're talking about now. So I think some of the things that are useful reference points are, you know, I hope people are interested in grabbing a copy of my book. The other couple of books that I think are particularly good are John Warrillow's book, Built to Sell, mm-hmm. and also a book called Finish Big by Bo Burlingham, mm-hmm. who's a who's a US author and um, and correspondent. And also there's there's a few services around like the Value Builder System, the Exit Planning Institute in the US, who put out quite a lot of useful information. And it's just good to use that to just start to learn a bit. Mm-hmm. I think also talking to colleagues, I really encourage business owners to, you know, build their networks with other business owners and, and particularly talk to people who have exited businesses already. Great suggestion. You know, because a lot of business owners don't do that. They tend to be very isolated. But as you move towards exit, you know, f- find people you can talk to because they'll give you a really different perspective. Mm. I think building some of what we've talked about into your day-to-day you know, business planning and so on. So don't treat your business exit stuff as if it's something different. Build these things into you, into your normal and regular planning mm-hmm. processes. And the other thing that I think can be quite good is, and it's along the lines of talking to colleagues, is look at getting involved in some forums that enable you to bounce these sort of ideas around. So you might set up your own advisory board. And one of the things I do is sit on private business advisory boards quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Another thing I see in the marketplace is business owner groups, so things like entrepreneur organisation owner groups. There's a North American group called the Alternative Board, which has just recently started in Australia, that brings groups of business owners together to meet on a regular basis to talk about, you know, all sorts of aspects of their business, including business exits. Oh, that sounds interesting. So I think some of those things can be really helpful. Could you send me some links, Jeff, that I can uh, put in the show notes for this episode? Yep. That would be great. Okay, cool. Jeff, some books that made an impression on you. I'm guessing one would be Built to Sell by John Warillo. Any other books that you found really moved you? Yeah, correct. I'm a, I'm a very big reader and always have been. I just think it's a fantastic way to just learn and get hold of ideas and all sorts of things. So I, I re- tend to read a lot of business-related books, but also read other books as well just because I think it's you know useful for you. Mm-hmm. Development as a human being, so I guess I'm a pretty curious person. And I guess I read books, I read them to learn, I read them for new ideas, particularly ideas that challenge me, mm-hmm. as well as just reading for enjoyment. So that's how I kind of approach my reading. So in terms of probably more self-development style books, probably my three favourite books would be Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. An Oldie But A Goodie, uh, Dale Carnegie on How oh, to yes. Friends and Influence People. Got that on um, my bookshelf here. Yeah, it's pretty old-fashioned reading these days, it's but a great it's still book. got lots, lots of pearls. Yep. Tim Ferriss' The Four-Hour Workweek, yep. Yep. just because I think it's a good one to challenge how we actually live and do things. Then in terms of more sort of 
mainstream business books. Michael Gerber's The E-Myth Revisited has always had a huge impact on me and every time I go back and read it, I, uh, yeah, I enjoy just the challenge of the way, you know, Michael approaches the world and his thoughts about how you build a great business. You know, the Stephen Covey book, I actually just gave a talk on the Eisenhower Matrix, which Stephen Covey actually popularised in the form of the four quadrants. I spoke in Macquarie Bank just on the 9th of September, actually. I talked in detail about the Eisenhower Matrix, which I find to be a very transformative framework because it really is about focusing on things that are important but not necessarily urgent. And a lot of us spend time focusing on the stuff that's urgent and not important, and that's where we're losing a lot of value. And I think business exit falls into that quadrant too, the stuff that isn't urgent but is so important. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. I mean, a really good simple example of that is, you know, whether you spend time writing a procedure, which means that you don't have to think about that again for Mm. forever, Mm. or you go, well, it'll only take five minutes, I'll just do it myself. Yes, exactly right. Couldn't agree more. All right, well, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation and we've got to do it again. Yeah, thanks, Ash. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 